Thanks very much, Sarah. Uh, it'd be worth keeping that open in front of you, if you have it there, page 976, as we just work through that opening uh, chapter, that opening kind of section that introduces us to the whole of this letter. Uh, when I uh, left home from, from Preston uh, and moved to Manchester, for some reason I, I thought it was kind of my duty to try and convince everyone I met uh, how great Preston was. And so I'd tell them all about its uh, historic football team, uh, its unusually large bus station, uh, it had the first ever KFC in Britain. Um, and to be honest, uh, you might guess from that list that I kind of ran out of good stuff uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I don't think I convinced that many people that Preston was the place to be, uh, and it certainly isn't. Uh, so it makes sense, I suppose. But, but this opening passage of Ephesians it is Paul telling us just how great, not a, not a place is, but how great the, the gospel is. And unlike me in, in my hometown, he's not having to kind of scrape the barrel here and make something pretty average uh, sound really good, uh, he's able to lay out truth after truth after truth of the great benefits of the great blessings of the gospel. These blessings, which are all reasons, he says, to praise God, to bless God. Uh, these blessings, which are all found, you might have noticed, uh, in Christ. Uh, that phrase is, is repeated time and time again uh, in these opening few verses. In him, in Christ, in whom. Uh, all of Paul's message in this introduction and throughout the whole of the book is centered on Jesus. Uh, and the exciting thing for us this morning as a church is that these blessings are for all Christians as well. Uh, have a look there at verse 1. This letter is addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus. Uh, that word saints, it doesn't mean, as we might be tempted to think, uh, some kind of super-Christians to the kind of spiritual elite. Uh, the saints is simply Paul's word uh, for everyone who has put their trust in Jesus. And Paul's showing that in, this, in the gospel, this Ephesian church, these average Ephesian Christians, have something incredible to praise God for through what Jesus has done. And that encouragement for the Ephesian church it is a great encouragement to us. You know, we're kind of, if we're honest, average people uh, in an average church. Uh, and yet in the gospel, we have these incredible blessings in Christ. Now, if this morning you are you're a Christian, you put your trust in Jesus, then all the things that we're going to look at are, are true for you. Uh, if this morning you're, you're not yet a Christian, you're kind of asking questions about that, well, then this passage shows all of the incredible benefits that, that could be for you, which are on offer if you would put your trust in Jesus. Now, these are there for all people who, who follow Jesus. And so whether that's us this morning, this is a cause of great encouragement. If that's not us this morning, we can look at this passage almost as an invitation uh, to come, put our trust in Christ uh, and receive these great benefits that Paul speaks about. I kind of think of this opening passage, it's a little bit like if you imagine a, a firework before it's launched. It is so packed full of incredible and exciting and powerful stuff, all in a, in a little space. And again, like a firework, as we work through this letter over the next few weeks, we're going to see these truths kind of explode out into something beautiful, into something visible to other people, into something sort of spectacular in how this works itself out in our day-to-day -day lives. So let's get started with this kind of short but sweet introduction to the letter to Ephesians. Four particular blessings 
There are four particular reasons to praise God that Paul gives us. And the first one is this. Praise God, Paul says, for choosing us in Christ. Praise God for choosing us in Christ. Let me read verses 4 to 6. Even as he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Uh, These are incredible verses that say that right from the beginning of time, uh, before we were even born, before even the foundation of the world, God has said, I know you. I know you, and even though you're going to go astray, I am going to bring you back into my family. I'm going to adopt you, is the language used. And now straight away, uh, this idea of being chosen, verse 4, or being uh, predestined, the word there in verse 5, perhaps that could cause us to feel a bit uneasy. Well, does this simply mean the church is a kind of a closed shop uh, that no one else can join? Does this mean that it's, it's pointless speaking to people about Jesus? Uh, would that mean if you're here kind of asking questions uh, about the gospel this morning, well, actually, uh, that decision is out of your hands? But, well, no, it doesn't mean any of those things. And it's really important that we see that. It doesn't mean any of those things. Paul says this, uh, being chosen by God, is not a limitation. He says it's a reason to praise God. And why is that? Well, it's because it shows that salvation, uh, this rescue that God offers, is his work from beginning to end. Sometimes we can almost think that kind of being blessed by God, getting these good uh, things from God, it's almost a bit like when you see sort of James Bond or Indiana Jones trying to jump onto a moving train that we have to get ourselves up to speed and if we can kind of put the effort in and, and get fast enough and leap on, well then, you know, we're onto a good thing and we kind of get taken away into these blessings. But that's Paul saying that's not the case. It's not up to us to kind of whip ourselves up in the first place. It's God who finds us. It's God who knows us. It's God who who chooses us from the beginning of time to be his people. From A to Z, this is all his work. And it's all done, verse 5, in love. And really this kind of choosing it is the reason why why the church, above everyone else, uh, the church should be people who are, are characterized by incredible humility. I wonder what you think people would uh, say if you asked them what is their view of the church today. I'm sure a lot of people would say, I think the church is kind of arrogant. Uh, The church is full of people who think they're better than everyone else. Uh, The church is kind of full of people who think, well, you know, we've we've worked this out, and so God's kind of pleased with us and blessing us, but, but you obviously just don't get it that somehow we've earned these blessings in Christ. Well, well, Paul cuts that idea away at the very root, doesn't he? This is all part of God's plan, he says. This is all for God's glory, not ours. He chose us. We didn't seek him out. We've got no grounds for pride whatsoever. That The rescue that God provides in the gospel is all God's work, all from God's grace. And so then, what does that mean? Does it mean we don't do anything? Does it mean we don't speak to people about Jesus? Does it mean we don't pray for other people? Does it mean that we don't kind of ask questions and try and find out more? No, it doesn't mean, again, any of that. Because that is how God often chooses to work. Primarily, God works through his people. God works through our sharing the gospel. 
God works through our prayers. God works through our, our kind of looking at his word, the Bible. Now, ultimately, God works through that invitation that, that Jesus himself offers. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come all, Jesus says. And yet the incredible thing is that, that when we come to him, uh, we find that he has chosen us from the very beginning. And what's our response to that? Well, it can only be, as Paul says, to praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not left us on our own. He has sought us out. He has loved us long before uh, we loved him, long before he was even on our radar. Uh, he has chosen us in Christ. And, and that is the first great blessing uh, that we see in this passage, that from before the foundation of the universe, God chose us in Christ to be his children. Well, moving on to the, number two, the next major blessing we see here is that uh, God, Paul shows us to, to praise God for redeeming us in Christ. Praise God for choosing us in Christ. Praise God for redeeming us in Christ. And it's as if here, uh, Paul is kind of moving the timeline forward. We began in, in eternity past, uh, before the foundation of the world. Well, now we move into kind of the, the era of, of history, our history, our world. Uh, we move to 2,000 years ago as we see how that adoption, uh, that great blessing of God making us his people, it is possible. And it's through that redemption, that forgiveness, uh, that we find in Christ. Uh, verses 7 and 8, in him, that's in, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I suppose the question that we kind of ask is, why was it that God needed to bring us back? Why did we need to be adopted? What had gone wrong in the first place to create this distance between us and God? Well, the Bible says that that problem is sin. Or trespasses is the word used here. We spoke about it earlier. What is sin? And the answer was rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. Uh, sin is not really a concept we like to think about. I'm sure very few of us had conversations with our friends about sin over coffee in the last week. Because we like to think, well, we're good people. And the mantra that our society really lives by is, well, do what you like, uh, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And that sounds fair enough, doesn't it? And what could be wrong with that way of living? Well, the Bible says that way of living has got two problems. Firstly, that it ignores God, like we've just been saying. It's an insult. It's really a rejection of the very one who created us. If you were to say to your, you know, to your, to your family, well, I'm going to go away, I'm going to live a good life, but I'm just going to completely ignore you for the rest of the time, you wouldn't find many people saying, oh, well, that seems like a, a good approach, that seems fair. Now, the second problem is, as well, I think, with this kind of approach to life, it doesn't really match up with real life. It doesn't really kind of fit with the data. If I just do whatever I want to do, if I have this kind of me-first attitude, well, that does affect other people. I can't help but hurt others. And none of us have been through life without being hurt, without hurting other people. We hurt others, we, we damage our relationship with them because we first ignore God and the way he calls us to live. We reject that relationship that's possible with him. And in fact, the Bible says in our natural state, 
uh, without God's intervention. We're not children of God. We're described instead as slaves to sin. Uh, We're bound by these behaviors that hurt ourselves and hurt other people. And we're also bound by the consequences, the, the punishments deserved, the cost it would take to make things right again. At a cost that we're just not able to repay. Hence that idea of slavery. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul's going to put it even more strongly. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, he says. Completely helpless. But the great blessing of the gospel is that in Christ, we're redeemed. Where we are helpless, he has acted. And that word redemption in verse 7, that's a word that comes from the, from the slave market. Uh, so the slaves would be kind of lined up, they would be for sale, they would be someone's property, uh, completely helpless, not in charge of their own destiny, and yet another could pay the cost to have that slave set free. That's redemption, that slave has been redeemed. Uh, it's the central theme in the, in the book of Exodus that we looked at before Easter, where God redeems his people from slavery in Egypt. And we said time and time again that redemption from Egypt, from Pharaoh, was a, a foretaste, a pointer towards this greatest blessing of redemption in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. And how is that possible? Well, verse 7 is clear, isn't it? This redemption is through Jesus' blood. And it's speaking there about the cross. These, these blessings that we enjoy in Christ, they came at the greatest possible cost for him. And this is right at the heart of the gospel. And it's at the heart of some of the songs we've been singing already this morning. How are sinful people, how are people who've hurt others, how are people who've rejected God, people like us, how are they going to be able to come back to God and and be called his children? You know, God can't just pretend these things don't matter, just kind of sweep them under the carpet. God is a holy God. He is perfect. And yet if he gives us the the punishment that we deserve, well then there's no chance of this incredible relationship that he's chosen us for. It seems we kind of hit a brick wall. How are we going to get around this? Well, the only solution is that Jesus, God himself, came and he bore that punishment. By his blood we have redemption, we have forgiveness. And what have we done to deserve this? Well, well, the answer uh, is absolutely nothing. Uh, This redemption, this forgiveness is made possible at the greatest possible cost to Jesus. But it's all according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. That's why it's such a blessing. uh, All of these good things that Paul lays out for us, these are not things that we could earn. He's not saying if if you're this good, you get this prize. If you're this good, you get this prize. That's kind of the way our world works. Paul says these are things to praise God for because this is not something we earn or deserve or or have done anything towards. But it is his free gift to us in the gospel. And really that's what it means to be in Christ. This phrase that comes up again and again. It means as the Ephesian church had done to put aside our own efforts to to prove ourselves, uh, to demonstrate our worth, to make our kind of good bits outweigh our bad bits. And instead, simply to trust in Christ and his sacrifice. That that gift of grace freely offered, that great reason to praise God, to give our whole lives to him, hold nothing back, because he has done that for us. And so, okay, so, so far we see these incredible blessings that in Christ we have been chosen by God, that we have been redeemed, 
Uh, and it's all entirely by grace. And I suppose the focus in these first two has been kind of on us and God. How is that relationship going to be restored? And we've seen the answer. It's all through Jesus. It's all through the gospel. It's all through the, the good news of what Jesus has done. And this next thing that Paul goes on to speak about helps us see, and I mentioned this earlier, kind of the scale of the gospel. Uh, Paul shows us that the gospel is not limited to just being about us and God. But what Jesus has done, has achieved, has kind of universal, uh, eternal, cosmic consequences for the whole of creation. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 are kind of the climax of this opening section. It says, God was making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I see we've moved now from before the foundations of the world, uh, kind of through history, through the cross, and, and the focus now is on the future, in the fullness of time, a time still to come. And what's going to happen? What is the gospel going to achieve? Well, it, it unites all things in Christ. In Jesus, everything that is currently divided is brought together under his rule, under his authority. And so the gospel isn't just about us and God. It's about a whole new creation that, that Jesus makes possible uh, and that Jesus rules over, that Jesus holds together. And the incredible blessing is that, is that we're chosen, we're redeemed, so that we can be a part of that. Uh, that we're looking forward to that time when God unites all things in Christ, all things in heaven and things on earth. Uh, and that idea of, of things in heaven, uh, that's quite a common theme in Ephesians. Uh, when Paul uses that word here, he doesn't just mean kind of the sky, he doesn't even just mean uh, kind of where God is. Uh, in this letter, uh, Paul speaks about the heavenly places in quite a specific way, uh, referring kind of to the spiritual realm. And we'll see this again and again, that, that reality of the, the spiritual, uh, that actually there is more to life than simply what we can see uh, or touch or, or do science experiments on. There are very real forces of good, but also of evil. And this is something the, the Ephesian church would have been only too aware of. Ephesus was a very spiritual place. Uh, it was home to the worship of a goddess called Artemis. Uh, it was a place where there were a lot of people who were involved in witchcraft and magic. Uh, in fact, a lot of the, the people who made up this church in Ephesus uh, were people who'd been converted from that, that lifestyle, who turned their back on that instead to follow Jesus. Uh, but this kind of uh, spiritual side of things was something that surrounded them, that everyone was doing. And so Paul's encouraging him here to say, look, don't worry about that. Don't look at what your, what your neighbors are doing or what your life used to be like. Jesus is bigger than all of that. And I think it can just be the same for us today. You know, it's so easy for us to look around and say, well, what's everyone else up to? How does following Jesus compare to kind of prioritizing my career above everything else? Or, or being the most popular, or, or having all the stuff, the comfortable life that I need, or, or being in a relationship. You know, the world around us it is telling us that these are the things that matter. And yet Paul, again, is, is saying to us that Jesus it is bigger than that. He is the one thing that has eternal significance. The gospel is what is best. 
That everything is going to come together, be brought to a conclusion in Jesus. In the final reckoning, it's not those with the the biggest bank accounts or or the most Twitter followers or anything else who who are going to be celebrating, who are going to be in charge. It is those who are in Christ. And as all things are united in him, who are going to be able to, to rejoice, who have that eternal security. We, we live in a, in a world that you could say is, is really kind of characterized by division. A division between people at local levels or national levels. A division between different lifestyles and worldviews. Division between people and God. Even kind of divisions between humanity and, and nature where we don't look after the, the planet as we should or, or we suffer uh, from natural disasters. There is so much division in the here and now at every scale. And yet the gospel looks forward to this perfect unity in Christ. Uh, not a unity which is, well, let's just kind of agree to disagree and, and get on with things. Uh, but a unity which is to agree that God is in control, that he works out his plans, and that Jesus is the very pinnacle of that. And again, what does Paul say for our response to be that? Well, it's, it's to praise God. Uh, that we praise God for uniting all things in Christ. And we praise him that if we trust in him, uh, that we have a, a place in that. And so, so far, we, you see, we have this kind of past, present, and future. Uh, praise God for choosing us in Christ, uh, for redeeming us in Christ, for uniting all things in Christ. Uh, that's still to come. All these things have been achieved through Christ. God has won this cosmic victory And yet we await the the fulfillment of that. We await the fullness of time when this perfect unity in Christ is seen. Everything that we kind of long for is all summed up in him. And yet it's hard to wait, isn't it? Any child will tell you throughout the the month of December, it is difficult to wait for good things. It's hard to wait for something uh, as incredible as what Paul's laid out, especially when as was the case for this church in Ephesus, that that they're under pressure. I remember the church in Ephesus, they had all this kind of spiritual stuff going on around it, and they were kind of the outsiders. They were the the different people. They were the people who who weren't going with the flow. In fact, when Paul was establishing the church, uh, he eventually had to leave Ephesus because people were rioting. And while some people believed that and joined this church, Uh, The majority kind of vigorously opposed Paul and what he said. And you can join the dots, can't you? If that's how they treated Paul, well, how do you think they they treated the church that remained, that followed Paul's teaching? Uh, Ephesus is is a church that's under pressure, and that's the whole reason why Paul is writing to them, to encourage them, to remind them of these great truths that are theirs in Christ. And yet, as we said, it's, it's hard to wait under pressure. And so Paul closes this opening section by pointing us, our last point, to praise God for his guarantee through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Verse 11 down to 14, it speaks about this inheritance, this promised unity of all things, all uh, coming together in Christ. How do we know that is going to happen when it seems so different from what we see around us? Uh, How do we know uh, that we have a part in that when it seems almost too good to believe? Well, it's because here and now, in the present, verse 13, Paul says that those who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and have believed in him, again, that's in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul says the Holy Spirit is the seal that shows that people belong to God. It's almost kind of like the name badge uh, sewn into clothes to show who their owner is. Uh, And as that, he's then the guarantee, the certainty, that because we belong to God, because we're his, we'll be part of his kingdom. And that kingdom brought in through Jesus in the future. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not something for special Christians Uh, The Holy Spirit is someone who who lives in all those who trust in Jesus to give us a a certainty, to give us this guarantee that what Paul writes about and promises for the future is ours as well. Uh, Just like the the church in Ephesus, to to be a Christian in 21st century Scotland, it it means sticking out. That's the same, uh, you know, in in the majority of the world, throughout the majority of history, to be a Christian means sticking out. It means to some extent feeling under, under pressure uh, as we're called to live lives which are, are different from those around us. We have a different worldview. Uh, we have maybe different positions on, on social or moral issues. Uh, the rest of Ephesians is going to uh, kind of lay out a different way of living for those who follow Jesus. And yet this introduction is here to show us that in the gospel we have a good thing. In Jesus it's happened. We're part of it now adopted into his family. But there is still more to come. This is not it. And yet we can look forward with certainty because we've been marked as his people, guaranteed that inheritance that only the gospel can offer by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we live our lives now in light of what's to come. And we live our lives now not for our glory, but as Paul reminds us as he closes this introduction to the praise of God's glory. We can live our lives now not having to prove ourselves, not having to push ourselves forward, not having to raise ourselves up, but instead living lives giving thanks to God for all that he has done. That we are blessed in Christ now uh, with even more to come. Paul finishes, uh, um, well, Paul writes and kind of introduces uh, this letter with this uh, incredible phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Let's pray together.